Galatians chapter 5. I'm here to tell you we're doing real good. Are y'all doing real good? River Church is helping us all. We have a common faith, and it's, it's more than you might imagine. And uh, one can put a thousand, and two can put ten thousand to flight. And that principle is interwoven in the, in the principle of the church. The Lord said He's coming after a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. So we're never, we're never saying tomorrow will be like today. Tomorrow's going to be better than today, but today was better than yesterday. And we're putting on an attitude that says, I'm in the end days. I said, we're in the end days. Yes. So the, our grandparents and even our parents that lived one lifestyle because everybody passed away. Everybody before us passed away. They got to the end of their days and they, they departed. But many of us, if not all of us, I believe, will not be old on this side of the rapture. You will not be old. We, so, in that light, we'll come back after the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we'll come back and we'll get to business, and uh, it's going to be a lot better back then. Praise God. Um, I wrote this down. I want to talk about finishing strong. Say it with me. I'm finishing strong. So if we're in the end days, you know, if, if, and we are, it's time to start thinking about the finish line. Not just, just not ticking off the days. You know, when, you, when you're working at a job, you just tick off the days. When you get through with February, what do you do? You just go to work in March. When that's done, you go to work in April. It's pretty much the same. And uh, raising your kids, it's, there's some drama in that, in that and being around kin folks. But in the church, we're different. We, we have a progression where we're growing strong like a person in a gym or someone that's running track or, or whatever. They're measuring their progress. They're measuring strength. They're measuring prowess and ability. And so we're measuring in these days. We're not, we're not just marking time. We're not marking time. So in the world, getting older is a detriment. It's a negative. They, they want you to be as young as you can. We all want to be uh, attractive and muscular and whatever people want to be. But in the kingdom, we're getting wiser. We're settling down. Youthful lusts are not affecting us as much as maybe they did in your 20s, hopefully. And we're, we're, we're coming to grips with our lives and it, there's a finality or an ending to that that's not that I'm going to die, but the ending is I'm going to do something for God. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards that. There's a goal. There's an end. There's a destiny that we're all moving toward. We're not just raising our kids and retiring and then settling down in a nursing home. It's just that's just not a part of your, our thinking. I hope it's not. It may be a part of it in, 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 incidentally, but it's not where we're going. We're assigned. And if you have to have an assignment from God that's on paper, that comes in the mail or whatever, then you'll never get your assignment. But if you have, if you have it by faith, you see it on the inside, you'll know we're assigned. Uh, there should be bishops and apostles and evangelists and, and teachers in River Church. And it's not that you have, you have 10,000 people and you go, well, we could probably find one or two of each one in that, it, 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 we're concentrated. <laughs> we could all be those offices and, 
Uh, it, but that doesn't matter. It's that we're equipped to do what he's called us to do. And there's a time frame on it. Not much time frame in, in generations past. They, nothing was really happening. But now we see the things in the Middle East and see the things that are progressing. And then we go to the Word of God and, uh, wow, it's there already. So we're not fearful about this war. We're not fearful about any war. Anything like that is going to be after we're gone. But we're not trying to escape. We're wanting to get the work done. Like Joe Morris said, when you get to the two-minute warning, it makes you hurry up. And so I've got hurry up. I've got giddy up. I've been very content up until this time to just learn and grow and be strong. But now it's time to go to the field and, and do some things. So I wrote down, winners are not people who never fail. Like I failed, so I can't be a winner. But winners are people who never quit. Let's say that together. Never quit. Better. Never quit. So we're, we're that people. And we've already run through lots of uh, opportunities to quit, to give up, or to maybe not quit, but just to draw back, just to cool off and cool our jets and go another way. It just didn't seem like it was worked out like we thought and it, it looked like if it was going to be this way in God it would look like this way and all those things that we've had to run through our lives and assess and come to a, an end of it we should never quit because we are winners we, uh, we've been through some things personally together we've been through some things lots of people have it's not, not River Church but in this day in this age so, but I notice, I, I think about this stuff, that everybody that's had a glorious finish, if you go back into their life and, and get them to tell their story, they'll always tell you a story or a part of their story that was almost total failure. That they almost went over the edge of the cliff and the Lord fished them out and got them back and just to see the end of their story, like Kenneth Copeland or Brother Hagen or... Anybody, anybody that you say, wow, they, they've always had it good. But if you go back into their history, you'll know that they were the end of everything. Uh, Brother Copeland's ministry was millions in debt. Rama was millions in debt at one time. Just it was going the other way. And you just go, that's not true. It's always been wonderful. Their faith and they've got a direction and they've heard from Jesus appeared and all that. That's just not the truth. It may should be, but it's not the truth. Winners are people that never quit, but almost everybody that has one has a story of being just hung out and on the edge of it all. So I noticed that in, in everybody that's successful or happy or whatever that has this story that we almost went under, you would call that point where it turned a turnaround. Have you had a turnaround in your past where it was going south? as they say, and uh, suddenly something happened. There was an intervention. There was somebody that came into your life. There was a revelation out of the Word. There was something that came, and it threw something on the fire, the spark, and suddenly it flamed up, and we got encouraged, and we turned, and everything's been better and even good since then. So there's the turnaround, and we can look at this in the Word of God, uh, not even the Word, Helen Keller. You know, she was, what was she, blind and deaf and mute and whatever else she was. But she was, she, she was like a tree. She couldn't do anything. And yet, 
She's famous. She's such an inspiration. And then I wrote down other people that I was thinking about. Noah, you know, he built the ark for 100 years. You think he didn't have a weekend every once in a while that he was thinking of something else? Elijah, the word says that he sat down by a bush and said, I alone am left. And the Lord changed that. Had a King David, of course, King David, we looked at the Goliath story. We'll look at it again where it was going south, but... Then he, then he had, he had uh, uh, they were trying to kill him, all sorts of things. But then he was king, and the major figure in the Old Testament. Uh, I was thinking about the woman with the oil that the prophet said, go and borrow vessels, not a few. And when she ran out of vessels, it ran out. That was a, that was a turnaround. The turnaround was when they said, alas, the debtors, the creditors are coming to take my sons away. And the turnaround was, as the prophet said, we'll do this and do that, and it'll all be changed. The Syrophoenician mother, where she had a demon-possessed daughter, and Jesus rebuffed her and said, I've not been sent but to the house of Israel. And she stood and had a turnaround, and her daughter was delivered. I'm certainly thinking of Peter, who denied the Lord three times. That was probably a low spot. I don't know what you think, but... Even, even Judas didn't deny the Lord. I mean, he denied him, but Esther had a low time, but had to turn around. The king dipped his scepter, and it all turned around. Uh, Ruth, certainly, she was out on her own. You know that story. Samson, he was, me- he was doing the mess around, but at the end, he crushed the Philistines. Gideon, we know his story. He was nobody from nowhere going nowhere. And suddenly he was God's man of faith and power and he whipped the Midianites. Uh, like we just talked about, the Israel in the Six-Day War needed to turn around. Little Israel had only been a nation since 48. And if you read, what, what is the name of that movie? Have y'all seen that movie uh, that talks about this miracle where the, there was one Israeli tank, for instance, and the whole battalion of the... Uh, the Jordanians and the Egyptians came up and they saw all these figures and saw all these tanks and saw this and they all either got out of their tank and ran or they turned their tank around and ran. And later they found out like, well, who was that? And they said, there wasn't anybody here. There was one man walking through the desert from his tank that had been whatever. There's just a tremendous story of the Six Day War that is so supernatural. And they had a turnaround. It should have been over, but they had a turnaround. Have you had a turnaround? Yes. I've had turnarounds. That means we dipped low. It means at one point it wasn't always going straight up or way up. There was a time where we almost crashed and maybe nobody knew about it, but it was a hard time. It was a lonely time. It was a despairing time. It was not a time that God said this is over, but that we were out of touch with God through our emotions and through maybe Job's friends that came by and said, it's worse than you think. You think it's bad? It's not even that good. So uh, what, what's, what is the reason that we need to turn around? You may need to turn around. Let me, let me just qualify that. Just because you're not in depression, not because you're not on drugs, or not because you're uh, uh, having a hard time, it could be that you're called to be to the nations, and you're just struggling with the call, Jonah. It doesn't even have to be something like I'm at the end of my rope and I just want to get back to normal. We could all be normal and not be fulfilling the call of God because we're struggling 
or we're needing a turnaround where the Lord calls us. I was the happiest boy on the planet when I was farming. I loved farming. I was, I was happy, happy. And, uh, but the Lord said, I, you know, he cooked his finger and said, come. Yeah, is what he said. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I left all and just, uh, you know, and I, and I made lots of mistakes, of course, but it's a glorious life for me. We ought to have a glorious life. In Galatians chapter 5, let's look in verse 7. Uh, we have a look in verse 6 just for context. And in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor our uncircumcision, but what works? But faith, which worketh by love. And then here's verse 7. He's talking to the church at Galatia. This is a letter, and they're reading it in the congregation. And he says, Galatians, ye did run well. So that means that we were having success, that things were going well. But then he, he stops there and he says, Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Well, wouldn't that speak to all of us? Not now, maybe, or surely. But at times we just said, I'm tired. And I'm tired of the neighbors having a boat and a camper and going off on the weekends and, you know, drinking their stuff and smoking their stuff. And here I am serving God. And believe in God and making my confessions. And we, 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 need, we need help paying the house payment this month. It just You get into those little things, people do, where they look at the wicked and say, it's not fair. So uh, I looked up Luke eleven fifty two. Just listen, don't turn there. But listen to this. This, this is interesting because he said, you did run well, who did hinder you? Who did hinder you? Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? So there's an implication there that success comes from obeying the truth. And that any time we can't blame this and we can't say that, success follows obeying the truth. Could y'all say amen? This is it. You would say sad or glad. That's how it is. Well, in Luke eleven fifty two, 52, he, he said, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken the key of knowledge, ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. So here's people that hindered. You know any of those people that hindered you? They influenced you or they actually physically or legally kept you from doing what you knew you were supposed to do and you had to work around people that loved you or so they said and people that were good to you. You had to work around them. I can tell you, coming from Texas to Alabama, there was people that tried to hinder me, and they had birthed me and raised me, and, uh, you know, good, loving my family and my friends. They did hinder. Amen. Romans 15, 20 says, uh, 20 and 22. Let me just break that in two. First in verse 20 says, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, Paul said. Yea, have I strived to preach the gospel. But verse 22, he says, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. So there's a connection there from I preach the gospel, and I've been hindered from coming to you to preach the gospel to you. Hindered. Hindered. Would that be like limited? or cut off, or slowed down, hindered. And then the last one's in 1 Thessalonians 
And this is a good one. It says, we, we would have come to you, Paul said. We would have come to you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. You go, well, that's, that's why I'm not doing better. It's because the devil or people or family or my boss or my wife or, or whatever, they're hindering me and I'm not able to do it. But, but if we go back to Galatians, he said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? So that implies that they were making progress. We were making progress. I was making progress. But something intervened. Something came into my life that sidetracked me or delayed me or distracted me or whatever. Do you all know what I'm talking about? And, and what you were doing, I, you, it says there, you did run well. Suddenly, apparently, they weren't running well because they weren't obeying the truth. I wrote that being hindered is being neutralized, rendered ineffective, and fruitless. I put down that being hindered, whether it's by your family, the devil himself, or, or just situations, just a volcano or an earthquake or a, you know, whatever, whatever, being hindered is being neutralized. In other words, God doesn't give you an excuse because you had a hard time and you didn't get to the end of your life like you were supposed to, like you were assigned. He's not allowing us to say, it was hard. Well, yeah, there's the flesh, there's the curse, there's the devil. Yeah, it's just, it's a landmine out there, as it were. There, no, it's never easy just to say, Lord, I love you. I'm bought with a price. I'll do whatever you say. I, and, and the Lord said, well, you've entered into the easy life. I don't think so. Okay, I'll, who, who in here wants me to preach to them? Hallelujah. So let me, uh, let me uh, being hindered is being neutralized. You're just, you're on hold. You're just, you're just on hold. We're not going forward, maybe not going back much. Although if you're not going forward, you know we are going back. And it's just like a period of time. And then the more we're hindered or neutralized, the more we give place to that in our head, in our thought. And then situations line up. Uh, someone was telling me yesterday uh, about a, uh, somebody that went to Ramah. And he was good. He was eloquent, fluent, had a command of the word, had a somewhat photographic memory. And uh, had to work to go through Ramah. Where most of them did, or a lot of them did. And when he got out of, uh, uh, when the man I was talking to said when he got out of Ramah, his part-time job, suddenly he was such a good man. You know, if you're going to Bible school, you're the cream of the crop. You got a good work ethic, you're going to be honest. So he got offered a job doing that, and the man said, I'll give you $30,000. Well, in $1977, that's, that's more than you can, you, you can't even throw that much away fast. And, but he didn't take it. He came back and he went and started his church and, and pulled the plow, as it were. Kind of, it's hard. I mean, not hard, but it's challenging. But he had a friend that was even better than him in the sense of being called, who got, also got offered a full-time position with, when he left Ramah and said he, he went into business and started doing it, and he never served God in the ministry. Because you just, you got hindered by a good thing. Making good money and supplying your family and giving to the kingdom and all that. But had a calling. Had a grace on his life and never answered it. Got hindered. 
We can all, I think we could all say, ah, that's touched me, I've touched that. Uh, so I looked it up in some different versions, this 5-7, and listen to this, because it kind of explains it. It said, you lived in this reality for a while. I am wondering what is your way that you, what is in your way that you no longer live in the freedom that is yours. That's the Johnson translation. You lived in this reality for a while. I'm wondering what's in your way that you no longer live in the freedom that's yours. The Levitt said, you were making such good progress. Who is it that has gotten you off track and shifted you from obedience to the truth? Now, there's conviction that comes to me when I read this word because I know I should be further along. I, I, I'm not telling you, but I have things in my life that I go, you kind of cooled your jets right then, Jack, and you could have been further. You could have done better. No telling what your life would be like. I'm thankful for that I didn't always do that. I'm thankful that I got what I got and did what I did, but I relate to this scripture. It says in the, in the century, I think, you were doing nicely. Who drove a wedge between you and the truth? The Fenton said, who tripped you into not going true? The Jerusalem version says, you began your race well. Who made you less anxious to obey the truth? So there's a cooling off there. Do you, do you sense that's what it says, is that you were hot, but now you're not? The Phillips said, who put you off the course you had set for the truth? The, uh, the, uh, the uh, Coney Bear, who has cast a stumbling block in your way? Somebody did. And we allowed it or we didn't allow it. Thank God all the times that there was a stumbling block cast in our way, that we rose up and kicked it out of the way. We're not under condemnation here. We're just saying, I, I did mess up, but most of the time, or a lot of the time. The uh, swan says, you were running well. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Well, it was us. If we have authority over our situation, our calling, whatever, if faith is the victory that overcomes the world, then we really can't say, well, it was the devil, so that's my story. The devil did it, and so I'm, I'm out because of the devil. Or I'm out because my, my daddy wouldn't let me do it. He said no, and I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And we all have a story or know someone with that story. That story's in everybody's life. If any time you engage something that's Godward, the devil engages something that's devilish, and he launches it. And if you don't know that's been launched, you might think, well, God... Why is this so hard? I thought you wanted me to do this and be that. And he's like, it's not me. The uh, distilled version says, I like this. Someone has thrown a rock in your path and added a little poison to your bread. And then I have a version here that I, 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 don't, I don't have the name of it, but it's good. It says, you were running so very well, who bumped into you and caused you to lose stride. So, yeah, we got to be aware of this, don't we? Because we don't have a, a, uh, a uh, like at work, a, a goal chart that says, okay, by the end of March, you'll have reached this many people and you'll have raised this much money and you'll have done this many projects and you can measure, well, I hit it or I didn't hit it or I went over it. We don't have that with the calling of God. We just have this down in here. Do you all know this down in here? And he, he, he or she's speaking to us and talking to us and nudging us and convicting us and leading us and, and bringing light to things that we might say, I don't know what that means. 
But if we examine and look and pursue and chase after that, we'll go, I believe I'm getting handled on that. And then the Lord starts bringing somebody into our life that says, thus saith the Lord. And it's like, wow, how'd you know? Y'all know what I mean? So that's how we stay on track. But you got to know that it's, you, you can sit on the couch all your Christian life and never turn a tap. Eat your spiritual potato chips and watch your big time WWE wrestling <laughs> and NASCAR or whatever and watch it all day. And the Lord will say, when it's all over, he'll say, come up here, son. Come into heaven. You are a blessing. You are blood bought. You are the, you're the pride and joy of my life. You go, well, what's up? Ah, but for those that were out there in the harvest, the word calls it a reward. And I'm just thinking that if the Lord says something's a reward, it's good. It's like real good. It's like missing hell and going to heaven real good. I mean, it's not that, but it would be along with that. Turn with me to Judges, if you would. Slip way back over there. Let's see, I, I marked where Judges was. It's... Uh, I'm telling you, it's on the left side of Nehemiah, I think. Or left side of Ezra. No. Yeah, Judges Ruth. There's Ezra's in there. I'm telling you, I, I don't go here very often. After jo Joshua, that's right. It's way back. Joshua, Judges Ruth. Wasn't it good in... Does Children's Church, do y'all study the books of the Bible in the order of them? Sometimes. Well... That's the only reason I know what I know is because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. But I can't find Lamentations. It's just, okay, we're, we're fixing to be Joshua. That's a long book. Excuse me. Judges. Let's go to Judges uh, chapter 6. We're talking about finishing strong, winning your testimony. Excuse me, owning your testimony. Finishing strong, owning your testimony. It says in chapter 6, let's look in verse 11. Uh, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in this town that pertained unto Joash. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So context is, is they were dominated by the Midianites and they would let them work and grow and, and prosper. And then they would come in when it was all done and they would raid them and they would uh, take their stuff off. So they would hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The word there is geber in the, in the Hebrew. And it means powerful. It means warrior. It means champion. It means strong man. It means mighty man. It means chief. The word geber. And we always said, you know, for men, be a geber, not a goober. So... This is what the angel, the angel, it wasn't somebody that says, I'm a prophet and I'm going to talk to you. It was an angel that said this, so it's pretty bona fide. And Gideon said unto him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And you all know he needs to turn around right there. He's got a bad attitude. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And, of course, there's a little pushback there. Uh, he said, O oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? 
Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord, in other words, I can't do it. How many of y'all know that's our first thought? What, how am I going to do it? And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So he finished strong, if you read the story. It was tough, but he finished strong. He was, by his own confession, the least in his father's house, who was in the least tribe, the Benjamites. And it was just, it was just, uh, it was just amazing. He saved his nation for God, and he went from being a nobody to somebody because the angel of the Lord came. Well, you go, if the angel of the Lord came to me and said, Thou mighty man, mighty woman, well, I'd, I'd, I'd perk up, I'd sharpen up, I'd say yes. But I'm telling you, we have a greater witness than an angel. And this is the word of God to us. And the unction of the Lord, the, the grace of God, that when you read it, just like you'd read Huck Finn in a cookbook, but when you read it in the grace of God, brings it into your spirit. It's a spiritual, it's alive, it's a spirit thing and brings it into you and ignites and raises you up and resurrects you with that word. And it is just like, yea, even better, than an angel coming in saying, Garland, thou mighty man, you're going to save the Israel. And he's going, how many garlands are there? You know, it's just like that. It's just like that. Y'all say amen. It, that, that is how it is. In Judges 8, let's look in verse 32 of 8. It says, and Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age. So he'd already whooped the Midianites. You know, they went up the hill with their pitcher and their candle in it, and the Midianites thought it, they were being overrun. And he was buried... And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead, as soon as Gideon was dead, right after Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal bereath their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, uh, namely Gideon. He was Jerubbabel according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Wow. You could say, in a way, America's kind of on that track. We're not, but we're tempted right now to be on that. Gosh, we've been delivered. The miracle of heaven has come into America to evangelize the whole world, and he's prospered us, and he's empowered us, and he's put things in our land that, that are not anywhere else. And, you know, we... But no one, all of his sons, I, I forget where I didn't write it down, but all of it, he had 70 sons and he had thousands of trained warriors and they all jumped ship as soon as daddy died. Uh, it's noteworthy here that according to the scripture, not one single stood up, person stood up and protested going back to Baal and worshiping the false god. Not one. You go, well, somebody missed their calling there. Dr. Cole says this, and so I'm going to quote him tonight. There's no success without a successor. We're, we're in lineage culture where we raise our children and we are part of something bigger and there's a successor. Uh, men and women disciple someone else that comes in and takes their place and it goes on. 
the, the greatest, one of the, the things that I missed the most in my life personally just is I had no one to mentor me. I came off the farm and all I had was Charles Capps books and that's all. And you go, well, why didn't you call somebody? Because everybody could call had just been in church for a year. They just started their church at the same time. And so there's no mentors, but we should have mentors. We should be raising men and women up right now. The competition that's been in the church that says, I, I'm not sharing anything, I'm not giving you anything, because I want to look good and I want to look smart and I want to be the one that you know, has all this and all that and does this and does that. But don't you know that our reward is the highest when we make somebody else great? When we impart to somebody else, the Lord said, I'll give you credit for all they're doing from now on. Well, that's way better than you just getting credit for what you do all along, especially if you mentor two or three or 300. So the principle has been skewed in, in the world. And so for all that Gideon did, he didn't replace himself. He demonstrated his life before God, but he didn't transfer it. He didn't impart it into his sons, 70 sons. And what are they going to do? Daddy was making all the decisions. The king was doing all that stuff. And when he's gone, they all just, pigs go back to the mire and dogs go back to the vomit, so to speak. There was a study done, and I got a hold of it along this line. It was a study of spiritual leaders. I don't remember. I found it, and I don't remember where I got it from. But if you took 100% of a certain group of people and you say, this group started strong and they had passion. Y'all remember that time in your life? Maybe, maybe it's this morning that you had that in your life. And out of them, after they followed them for a number of years, they said 30%, 30%, 3 out of 10, ended up or came to a place they finished with a passion in their life and a purpose in their life. 3 out of 10 maintained. But 70% finished weak with no apparent purpose or leading in their life. Now, I'm not picking on Rhema. I'm sure not. I just happen to know about them. But most graduates from Rhema do not enter the ministry. Most. Now, maybe it's this 70-30, but most do not serve God. I mean, they're serving God is... Let's see. I don't want to mess this up. I'm certainly not disparaging them. And it's certainly not Rhema's fault. They're putting the stuff out there, and anybody that'll plug in can, can tank up. But apparently, something hinders them. They get a job, they get married, they get whatever, and they, they don't come out on the other end. But our purpose, our, our, the plan of God is to finish strong. And no matter where you have been, no matter where you are, it doesn't matter. Peter denied the Lord three times. And he walked on water. He's finished strong. Judas never flinched, and he hung himself. He couldn't finish strong because he was hindered. The silver hindered him, or the lust in his heart. He was filled with the devil. So take hold. We should take heart tonight. No matter where I started, no matter where I'm even today, if you know the path you're supposed to be on, and you go, I didn't do it, finish strong. I have a... Barry, do we have a video? I want to take this to a natural level about finishing strong. Uh, this is the 1972 Summer Olympics. It was in Munich. It was a terrible 
time. That's where the Palestinians came in and, and uh, killed the Israeli. But in a, a U.S. American track athlete called, named Dave Waddle, it says he performed perhaps the greatest comeback in athletics history in the 800-meter run. After the first 400 meters, Waddle was still in last position. And they had two Kenyans. You know, they're fast as the wind. And then the, the uh, Russian guy was some Superman. And they were all supposed to win first, second, and third. However, he then overtook all the other athletes in the last round and won gold in front of Ukraine's Arzanov and Kenya's Michael Boyd. And it's just a two-and-a-half-minute video. Can y'all watch it with me? Just uh, we, we all need to be inspired, no matter where we are tonight. If you're at the end of it or if you're at the top of it, we all need to jump up and take off. Can I turn out the lights? Like the man who won 100 meters, he is from the Ukraine. At lane two, we're going to have Dieter Fromm of East Germany, another very strong runner. In lane three, Dave Waddle with the golf cap from the United States. Next to him in lane four, Robert Kuko of Kenya. All of these men could win the gold medal. Then we have Andy Carter of Great Britain. He also a very strong runner. Franz Joseph Kepra, the veteran from West Germany on home ground. And Mike Boyd, a surprise from Kenya. And on the outside, we have Kuchik the pole. Two laps around. They run in lanes for the first 100 meters, and then they'll break. Boyd is looking strong again at the moment already. On the inside, we have Marjanov. Marjanov in the lead as they break, but Boyd on the outside is going for the lead right now. Hugo, the other Kenyan, on the inside, and Waddle is way back exactly where he was in the semifinals. We don't know right now whether he's just trying to stay out of trouble. It'll be a few more hundred yards before we know if Dave is seriously injured or really just lagging back to stay out of trouble. He's not too bad because it was quite a fast pace through that first 200 meters. And as we said, here go the Kenyans charging for the lead, coming up to the bell left, Boyd and Uku. Okay, and right with us is Andy Carter of Great Britain, Dieter Fraub of East Germany. Those are the four right now. And they're on the bell lap. The split is 52.3. If Dave could just pull up here and get on the outside of Orzano, he would have boxed in perfectly. Let's hope Dave makes a move down this back stretch. The Kenyans running like a mirror reflection of each other. The first and second. Fraub there he goes. With him. There's Orzano from the Soviet Union going after the lead now. There goes Orzano, the favorite, taking the lead. Dave Wilder is making his bid. He's not in too bad position right now. I think Dave's in great position on this. At this point, he's in perfect position on the outside. Good striking distance to this last 100, 200 meters. Stand by for the kick of Dave Waddle. If he's got it, he could make it. But he's got to catch Orzano and the Kenyans. And here he comes. good well that's totally secular you know that's totally athletic that they say it's the greatest comeback I don't know there's probably been some since then 
I can't get to the end of this, but I, I, we, we will say that no matter where you start, we should finish strong. It's not too late. Now, here's my, here's my take on the whole thing in the kingdom. And I've said it many times. I don't believe that anything has mattered up to this point. I think that I believe that we've been in dress rehearsal like you would a, a drama or a play where everybody's learning their lines and putting the pieces where they go and getting the rigging and getting the lights ready and the curtain's still down. I think that's where we've been. And so you could say, oh no, the curtain's been up and I didn't know my lines, therefore, and you begin to attach some disparaging thing to yourself like I could have done better, I should have done better. But it doesn't really matter if you know your lines on Thursday if the production doesn't come out till Saturday and you're willing to spend all night learning your words, your lines. So here we are, the curtain's going up right now. I believe in 2022 the curtain's going up, in a sense. There's already revival across the world. It's Don't judge revival by America at any rate, certainly not in Alabama. But Alabama's been prophesied to come from behind. We, we are nobody from nowhere, Gideon, and... Uh, uh, we're going to just sit back and not disparage Alabama, not disparage River Church. We're going to just see what the Lord has. And you know what He has? He has whatever's in you. It's not a building. It's certainly not a calling. It's whatever people do with it. We can blow it up and throw it away, or we can get in the race and say, I'm going to come from behind. I'm going to have a tremendous finish. It's all personal. But yet it affects all of us because we're somehow we're a family and we're put together. Um, it's pretty powerful if you think about it. It's sobering to know that since almost all of us have experienced all the American life that's, that's there. I mean, we've all been to the beach, all been to the mountains, all driven a fast car or fast enough car. Uh, we all have indoor plumbing. We all have power that comes on with a switch. There's just not much that life can offer us that we'll go, boy, if I'm going to have a good life, I've got to go do that. Well, go do it. it it's not hard. Disneyland or NASCAR or the Augusta or whatever, whatever's still on your bucket list, it really doesn't matter. Almost all of it has already been presented to us as Americans and as Christians. So there's really nothing to say I'm going to be hindered because I'm after stuff. We live in America. We're, we're, we live in... We've had the stuff. It'd just be a lust of some kind of carnal nature that would say, I can't serve God because I just don't have a good life and I need to experience that before I serve God. It's, it's just not true. There's always more. There's always, but really there's not more. So I... I think we ought to giddy up now. I think we ought to find out what's in our heart. I've, I want to be in my part, my place, and I know you do too. So we'll just we'll find out from the Holy Ghost, what is that? I'm not going to direct it because I'm not in charge of you. I'm just in charge of me. And so I'm going to do my part, whatever it is. I'm doing my part right now. This is my part. Part of my part is to do this right now, to, to put it out there. And then you judge it. You figure out, oh, that's a bunch of junk, or if that's like I've heard from heaven tonight. Uh, we need a testimony. And I'm going to quit with this. You have to have a testimony to be effective in the kingdom. 
The Lord told me one time, if you don't have a story, you can't have the glory. So he wants us to all have a testimony. So we're gathering it up. We're gathering up our testimony to tell somebody. I can tell you, it's not where you can go out and preach to people and say, you're a sorry, rotten, no good sinner, and you need Jesus, and he's come for you. I mean, you've you got to bring a part of that to them, but how you get in the door is you just tell them, I was just like you. And the Lord came into my life and changed everything. People are tuning into that. We need a testimony. You need, you need to have a testimony where your money multiplied, where your body got healed, that you were raised up from something. We all, and if you don't have one, well, then you start out by telling somebody else's testimony. I had a friend, and this is what happened to him, and the Lord raised him up. Tell that until you can tell your own. But we all, all write down our testimony of whatever's happened, whatever's good, whatever's been marvelous in your eyes. We ought to write it down. We ought to rehearse it. And so when you come up to somebody that seems scary and seems like they wouldn't want to have what you have, just give your story. And when you give your testimony, it says God wants to do it again. Yeah. That's what a testimony says. I, God wants. This wasn't his story. It can be your story too. And so I want to encourage you. I'm not through with this, but we'll stop with that. Aren't you glad Dave Waddle won? <laughs> and they said they had to go back and see. It was such a photo finish. They had to go back and look at it and make sure that he had a little fingernail over the line before Doodle Doo had uh, before that. Don't you know that guy would have picked it up a little bit if he'd have known Dave was right there behind him. He thought Dave was, last time he saw him, he was over at the concession stand. <laughs> what the Lord's done for you and me is marvelous. It's amazing. And we shouldn't marginalize it by saying, he's done so much, it doesn't mean anything. Every breath we take, every success we have, it came from him. Every good and perfect gift came from Him. So we ought to make that our testimony because all of us have tasted the good of God. And there's a lot and lot, a lot of people that have never, they don't know that they've tasted the good of God if they have. And we just go tell them. We just go tell them. I, I pray for people and sometimes the Lord heals them. Well, count me in. I'll, I'm a 50 percenter guy. And you just pray for them and golly, the Lord healed them. <laughs> and then they want more. And that's, that's the plan. That's, that's how we're going to proceed in some form of that, develop our testimony, and we're going to win the Olympics, so to speak, in our own life. Because we want to. We all want this. We all want this. We don't want to be profes professional sermon hearers. We don't want that. We want to hear just enough that we keep our fire hot and we go on. Amen. Thank you, Barry. Praise God.